Our Father, we thank Thee for the goodness of God. And we're so grateful that Jesus was the Savior who was willing to die on a cross for our sins. Born to die, we just thank You and love You. We pray that every person who has come, both by radio and in person, to worship Thee in spirit and in truth will receive what he needs, that needs will be met, that hungry hearts will be filled, that those who feel guilt will have that guilt washed away in the blood of Christ, that every one of us would just say, Lord, we want to give our lives afresh on the altar. May the Holy Spirit do his work of conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it's difficult to speak from a passage that is so familiar. I think of Harry Morehouse, who came to the Moody Tabernacle in Chicago, and Moody had to be out of the city, and he didn't really know where, whether Morehouse would be able to preach or not. He was a young man, and so on Sunday night he preached from John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life Monday night he preached from John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life Tuesday night he preached on John 3:16. Wednesday night Thursday night Friday night Saturday night and when Mr. Moody got back, he said to some of his friends, what did Morehouse preach? Well, I said, he, sir, he preached John 3.16. And he said, what did he preach another night? He said, he preached John 3.16. What did he preach another night? He preached John 3.16. He preached that all week. And Moody said, well, did he say anything different? He said, no. He just stood up and kept telling us how much God loves us until after the week was over we knew that God loved us. And Moody said that transformed his own preaching. And from then on, he began preaching more that God loves you. Now when we come to Matthew chapter 1, a story that depending on how old you are, you've heard it every year, sometimes many times in the year, but at least once a year, if you've grown up under the gospel ministry. You've heard it at least once a year for every year you are alive. Some of you have heard it 70 times. Some of you have heard it 80 times. Some of you may have heard it 10 times. But today, let's pretend like we've never heard it before and go back and let it become fresh to us all over again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of Mary, Thou, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, 
for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Notice carefully verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now remember that this is the angel of the Lord speaking to Joseph. Joseph was engaged to Mary. Now an engagement period lasted for about a year. They did not have the privileges of living together as husband and wife. We live in a different age today. We live in an age of free sex. Teens, they say, are sexually active. As if there was nothing wrong with it. Some couples decide they're just going to live together for a while and, and see if they're compatible. And then if they are compatible, maybe, just maybe, they'll eventually get married or maybe they won't. Doesn't make any difference. Some couples, when they decide they're going to get engaged, they think they're already married and they start living together. And they, if anybody says anything, they say, well, we love each other. We're engaged. What do you think? Others just try promiscuously one partner after another. God, over all of it, God writes, thou shalt not commit adultery. The word of God has never changed. Now, Joseph and Mary were not living in adultery. Joseph, an honorable man, was engaged to a young teenager named Mary. And the scripture says that while they were engaged, she was found to be with child. And this bothered Joseph. You can well imagine why. He thought she's been unfaithful. She's been impure. She hadn't been what she ought to have been. And while he thought about these things, he went to sleep one night and he had a dream. The angel of the Lord talked to him. Now listen, you know what? You can't believe every dream you have. You can't believe every dream you have. <laughs> Sometimes you eat onions for supper and you dream. I know some people that put so much stock in their dreams, they think, well, if I dream a certain thing, it must be God talking to me. I told our Sunday school class today, a lady came to the office one day and she said, preacher, God told me to kill myself. I won't tell you about all the other things. One woman came and said, God told me to kill my mother. I said, well, where, how did you get that from God? She said, he, she, he said it in a dream to me. Well, we began to look at the scripture. Ladies and gentlemen, God will never lead you to do something that is out of harmony with what God's word says. You have to check everything out with the word of God. 
Every time you imagine something, every time you dream something, every time you think you have a vision, be sure to check it out with the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God, that in the past God spoke to us in various ways, sometimes in dreams and sometimes by prophets and sometimes by angels and so on. But now he speaks to us through his son. And so while Joseph was dreaming, he had this dream, and the angel of the Lord said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary. That holy thing which is conceived in her is of God. And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, which was the equivalent in Greek to Hebrew, Joshua. Thou shalt call his name Joshua Jesus. And it's not far from the derivative of Jehovah. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Jehovah, Yahweh. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now Joseph was obedient to the heavenly vision and he took Mary, and the scripture specifically says they did not come together until after Mary brought forth that firstborn son, and Joseph called his name Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, Mary must have called him name Jesus, or somebody called his name Jesus. The Bible record says the angel of God told Joseph to do that because Joseph was the rightful heir to the throne of David, as has been traced in the lineage of Matthew. He was the foster father, and in those days the father always named the son, the eldest son. You recall when John the Baptist was born. John's father, Zechariah, had been a priest in the temple. And God had appeared to Zechariah and said, you're gonna have a son, you and your wife, in their old age, in your old age, you're gonna have a son. And I want you to call his name John. And, John, and, and Zechariah didn't believe the Lord. He sort of said, surely that wouldn't happen in our old age. And the angel of God said, because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak until after that son is born. And so a year, a year later, when the son was born, Eli, uh, Zechariah couldn't speak. And they said, now what are we going to call this young man, this little boy? And his mother Elizabeth said, his name's going to be John. Why they said, there's nobody in your family named John. Let's ask his daddy. His daddy has the final authority. And his daddy asked for a piece of paper and he wrote down on the paper, his name is John. Now this is symbolic of the fact that the father was to name the son, the oldest son. And so Joseph named Jesus like the angel told him to name him. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. His name should be called Jesus, Yesu, the same in every language of the universe. His name should be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now I have both good news and bad news for you today. Good news in that Jesus is the Savior who forgives sin. There is no reason 
for anybody to leave this radio broadcast or this auditorium this morning guilty. You can have written over your name and over every sin of your life paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiven, case dismissed. There's not one person within the sound of my voice today who needs to leave this place guilty. You can be forgiven. Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. But I have bad news. To those who receive him as Savior, Jesus has some exacting qualifications for the Christian life. And in those exacting qualifications, not only does God forgive our past sin, he breaks the chain of those sins and he asks you to live no longer under the bondage of self and sin and hell. That's the reason sometimes we misunderstand the gospel and we come and hear a part of it. Why we say the preacher preached that if you dance, you'll go to hell. I've heard people say that. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now you may make somebody else go to hell if you dance. But dancing isn't going to send you to hell. Why the preacher preached that if you drink, you'll go to hell. That's not true. You may make somebody else go to hell if you drink. And you may kill yourself. You may become an alcoholic. You may live under the awful, awful circumstances of that terrible habit. And you think I can't break it. And I don't know what to do about it. And all your life you'll live in limitations as a dwarf. And never be able to do what God wanted you to do. And you get to the end of the way and you look back and say, Oh, how foolish. How foolish. Jesus broke the bondage of that and I never did let him do it in my life. And so, I hold up to you two standards today. Number one, he shall save his people from their sins. That is, he will give pardon, purpose, peace, power, provision to everyone who wanders in the shadow of death. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. You see, when you're in the valley of the shadow, when you're in the valley of, of, of sin, in the sewerage of sin, in the difficulty of agnosticism and atheism, when you're in the awful bondage of yourself, whether it's intellectual pride or moral depravity, whichever it is, Jesus wants to break that bondage and he will forgive you. He'll cleanse you. There's a little song that says, I have good news for you. I have good news for you. I've read in a book there's life for a look, and Jesus will make you anew. Jesus will change you. And I don't know anybody that dwells in the land of the shadow of death that doesn't want to be changed. 
They may say they don't want to be changed. Last, yesterday was a, was some day. I'll tell you, this week has been some week. I want to salute all those people who have worked on this Christmas tree. We've had a wonderful group who have come day after day to build it, uh, to put its structure up, and then others who have come to put this beautiful cedar on it, others who have come to put decorations, and then the electrifying people who came in here and put all the lights on it, and all those cords, and, uh, and so on, made it beautiful. And then the sound people who have put the sound technici te technicalities on it, and so on. It's been a wonderful week, but it's been a, a week of, of great uh, pressing schedule. And yesterday, I got here early, and I thought, well, I've got to go to Nashville to visit the hospital. I've got to go visit the hospitals in Bowling Green. And I've got to go visit some people. And I've got to do this and that. You know, it was 12 o'clock last night before I even got out of the building and hadn't had a chance to eat anything. And I thought, well, I don't want to, I'm glad to go without some food, but I don't want to face Sunday without anything because I might faint in the pulpit. And so I'm just kidding there. It doesn't hurt us to fast a little bit, but anyway, I got a little hungry. So last night I went to one of the restaurants about midnight. And I can't tell you the tragedy that I saw when all the bars closed, all of those people filled with drink coming to that restaurant, the restaurant that doesn't sell drink. They can stay open late. And if they just saw themselves, friend, if you drink, if you could just see how foolish you look, how absolutely asinine, how silly, they're just wandering around and talking real loud, talk blah, 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 blah. And I thought, how foolish. If they could see themselves as they are seen, surely they'd run out in shame. But that's the way the world lives. Beloved, if you're a Christian, don't go back and borrow the customs of the world. Don't go back to those awful bondage days. But the world and the flesh and the devil tries to eat up people. Now there are a few, there are some moral people who are not saved. And they live pretty good lives. But basically, the way the world lives today is the Epicurean way. Eat, drink, and be merry. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And what a tragedy for people to be so pressed down by those things that they think are propping them up only to wake up in eternity's morn and find their life was absolutely a void, empty, totally empty, 
and they spend eternity separated from God. There are some within the sound of my voice today who are lost, separated from God, outside the pale of faith. Jesus came to rescue you. Jesus came to lift you. Jesus came to die for you. He shall save his people from their sins. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But I want to deal with the further extension of what that means. You see, he shall save his people from their sins. Well, who are his people? God's people. Did you ever think of that? You see, Jesus didn't come just to rescue us from hell. He came to rescue us from ourselves and from the old bondage that we used to live in. On the anniversary of his first year as a Christian, Charles Wesley wrote, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. I just think of some people in this auditorium this morning and some other people who used to sit where we sit who have had their lives dynamically, dramatically changed just like that by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They lived an old life, a wasted life, a life filled with bondage, a life filled with, with tragedy. And then Jesus moved in. They opened their doors to Jesus and said, come in, come in, I need you. And the Lord came in and God began to give them victory over sin. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Let's look at that a moment. You say, how does he save his people from their sins? How does Jesus save God's people? Christians, how does he save them from their sins? Look at Romans 6 a moment. Beginning with verse 6, Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, neither uh, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon, acknowledge, know, that ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in its lusts. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion or power over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Meganoito, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Now what is that saying? That's just saying this. <clears throat> When first of all Jesus forgives you, you come to him as a sinner and you say, Lord, I need you. 
I invite you to come into my heart and cleanse me from sin. Forgive my sins. Just like that, Jesus does it. He comes into your life. And then he begins to whisper you, to you through the Holy Spirit, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you not know that you don't have to yield your members as instruments to sin any longer? Jesus breaks that bondage. First of all, the bondage to our old habits. You see, God can change you. You don't have to be what you used to be. The Holy Spirit in you gives you power over temper. Temper is sort of a habit. You live uh, under the old plan of somebody does you wrong, so you just get even with them. Somebody crosses your path, and boy, you just zip at them. Somebody punches you in your nose, you punch them right back. Your temper gets all riled up, all that adrenaline gets in you and you just want to react. Jesus said, down boy, down boy, peace, be still. I want to give peace to your troubled soul. E.J. Lamastis in Sunday school this morning said a wonderful profound statement. Only God can bring that peace. But he'll bring it. And you don't have to go on with that Vesuvius, that eruption of temper. How about the guy that's been profane and his language has been filthy, barnyard, copied after the world? Why, you know you listen to the television programs and the, and the radio programs today and, and they think nothing of saying four-letter words. And they think nothing of using God's name. And they constantly are saying H this and D this and so on. Well, what can clean that up? Why, some people don't want to be cleaned up because they're lost. They're lost. Friend, if you are in sin and you don't want to be cleaned up, that's a good evidence that you're not saved. If you are saved, there's something inside that says, I'd like to have cleansing. I'd like to get rid of these things. What can I do? Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. You came to the right person. He shall save his people, God's people, from their sins. You don't have to go on doing it any longer. Well, what's the way out? Likewise, reckon you yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God. Get along with God. Tell him all about it. And if your heart really craves victory in Jesus, he will give it. <clears throat> I've told you this before. A man came in our service and got saved. He had been a profane man, cursed all the time. And in, we had a new members class and in training union, <clears throat> we were talking about how to have victory. And he said, well, he was very honest. You know, I love new converts. They're so honest. I like to hear them pray. They haven't learned how to pray these sanctimonious prayers that other people pray, and they just talk to God out of their heart. And he, and he uh, was saying, well, I'm having a trouble with my cussing and my swearing and my filth. He said, all my life I've used all those language words and vocabulary, and I don't know what to do about it. He said, this, even since I've gotten saved, I'm still doing that, buddy. Remember what I told you? 
All right, now you just be quiet. Now, <clears throat> he, he said, I don't know what to do about all this language problem that I had. I said, do you really want to quit it? Yeah, I really want to quit it. All right, I said, here's what you're to do. I guarantee if you'll do this, God will give you victory. I said, the next time you curse, or you say some filthy word that God tells you not to say, right where you are, stop, first of all, and ask God to forgive you. And secondly, whoever heard you say it, ask them to forgive you and say, I became a Christian the other day, and I have no business talking like this, and I'm sorry I said it. He looked at me. He said, that'd be embarrassing. I said, yeah, it'd be embarrassing. If you really want to quit, God will help you to quit that way. He said, well, I'll try it. The next week we came back to train union. And I said, how's your, how, how'd things go this week? He said, well, first two or three days I had a hard day. He said, I, I cursed and I said some filthy words, but I did what you told me to do. The minute I did it, I stopped and asked God to forgive me. And then I said to the people around me, I'm sorry, I became a Christian the other day. I, I have no business talking like this, I'm sorry. He said, do you know by Thursday I didn't say a word like that? And Friday I had perfect victory. He said, I haven't said a word like that since Thursday. You want victory? God will give it to you. He shall save his people from their sins. I hear these people on the radio say, well, I quit smoking 53 times. That's interesting. You're smoking again. I can quit anytime I want to. The problem is, do you want to? See, if you get alone with God and the Holy Spirit, and he begins to deal with your heart, and you say, now, Lord, I have no business doing this. I'm an example to others. I'm a Christian. God don't want me to do that anymore. God will give you victory. He shall save. You say, what, is smoking a sin? Listen, Baptist, God's Bible-believing preachers have been preaching against smoking long before the Attorney General ever said you have to put a little sign on the cigarette package saying this is dangerous to your health. You see, God convicted preachers who read the Word of God to say, that's not good for you. It's a bad testimony. It's not good for you. And so now they tell us it's wrong for your health. Of course it's bad for your health. It's always been bad for your health. God don't want you to die of lung cancer. I've seen people in the hospital just <coughs> and they die of lung cancer, emphysema and other things because they never let God give them victory over it. Some of you won't like this preaching this morning. God bless you anyway, I like you. I want to tell you, God will give you victory if you ask him. You have to want it. He shall save his people from their sins. Alcohol. Sexual improprieties. Cheating. Shoplifting. Stealing. He shall save his people from their sins. Now, either Jesus came to do that or he didn't. 
I choose to believe what the Word of God says, don't you? All right, now he'll do it. You say, well, preacher, at that rate you could be perfect. No, as long as we live in this flesh, we're going to have a battle with sin. Paul said, the things that I want to do, I find myself not doing the things I don't want to do. I find myself doing, what am I going to do about this? Who should deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God Jesus will deliver me. And he goes in the marvelous, victorious, victorious eighth chapter of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Amen. And so there's victory in Jesus. We sing the song. Is it more than a song? Or is it just some little lyric we sing here at church? There's victory in Jesus, my savior forever. And we go out and are in bondage to the same old things. He shall save his people from their sins. Now I want to close by focusing on this. He will save his people from their sins. Beloved, sin is a terrible, terrible taskmaster that will drag you down, down, down and lay your honor in the dust and finally take you down to hell forever. If you'll come to Jesus just as you are and say, Lord, I don't want to go on like this. I want God to cleanse me and forgive me and save me. I want to come in humility and ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. He'll do it. Just like that. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you'll come to Jesus and ask his cleansing, he'll forgive you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Wonderful plan, exciting plan. And you're right on the verge of the day that will last forever when you open your heart to Jesus and say, come in, Lord, I need you, I want you. I don't want to go on in bondage any longer. I want Jesus Christ in my heart. If you'll do that, he'll save you today. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank you that he shall save his people from their sins, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We pray that just in this closing moment, someone listening by radio, someone here in the auditorium would say, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of an old life. I'm tired of no victory. I'm tired of all that. I want to tune in to that glorious promise. He shall save his people from their sins. Would you let somebody today sense thy dealing in their heart and come to Christ today in Jesus' name? Amen. May we stand, please. Number 334. 334. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. Beloved, you come to Jesus just like you are. You don't have to get better first. You just come to him like you are. Amen. Will you do that? God help you to do it today. While we begin to sing, everyone standing, let's all stand. 
And we'll sing this hymn. This is God's hymn of appeal. Will you step out for Christ while we sing?